Hi, I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespot.com, a thriving community that financially empowers women and author of the Amazon bestseller, You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich. And this is The Wallet. The Wallet is here to help you make better financial decisions by talking honestly about money. I'll be sharing my best tips, inspiring you to take charge of your financial futures and talking to an array of awesome guests from all walks of life, employees, freelancers, entrepreneurs, and money experts. We all have our own beliefs and definitions when it comes to money. It can feel overwhelming or embarrassing to talk about our own finances, so it's no surprise that money can be a source of stress in our personal relationships, putting couples or families under significant stress. Joining me today is Lottie Leaf, founder of the Dura Society and a financial advisor who is helping women through different stages of life to improve and take control of their wealth and well-being. In this episode, Lottie shares her top tips to opening up the conversation of money within a relationship. Together, we cover what you should consider before making joint financial decisions, as well as providing valuable guidance on being financially prepared for the unexpected. Wills, pension beneficiaries, insurances... We also talk about what to do and how to look after yourself when you end up in very challenging situations such as debt, economic abuse or divorce. I hope you enjoyed this episode and find it useful. Thank you. I also wanted to let you know that we are not financial advisors. So the articles, the information made available on Vespot.com and in this podcast are provided just for educational purposes and do not constitute financial advice. So make sure you consult with an independent financial advisor for advice on your specific circumstances. Thank you. Hi, Lottie. How Hi, are you Emily. today? Oh, I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Good chatting to you. I mean, we've known each other for for ages like now. Really? <laughs> and you've been so supportive of, you know, Vespa, the mission. You helped me also on my book. So it's always great to have, you know, financial advisor friends. <laughs> oh, well, I'm equally, equally grateful for the help that you've given me and support you've given me. So we're working together. Cool. And we, we're here tonight because, I mean, we've been chatting about this offline a lot, but, you know, women and money is really, you know, our mission, empowering women financially. But today I really wanted to focus on your role as a, you know, financial advisor, a little bit about the industry, but also talk about money and relationship. Uh, you're helping a lot of women uh, go through, you know, different things and events in their life. So I really want to talk from, you know, woman perspective, how to protect ourselves, how to make sure we make our money grow. And if something happens, what can we do? So maybe we'll get started more on the financial advice, uh, because you've been a financial advisor for for many years. You've been focusing on helping women grow and protect their wealth. But what actually led you to this career path? Because you also studied design and art. So why financial advice? Good question. Do you know what? It was just a complete accident, if I'm totally honest. But I think it's one of those absolutely incredible accidents that I'm so glad happened. The jump from design to 
wealth management was never planned. And I think that my dad is still in shock that I could actually make that transition, as are a few people. However, I think people overlook the fact that through design and art, a lot of it is critical thinking and you look at a lot of human behavior. And I think those two elements really complement what essentially wealth management, financial management is about, which is looking after yourself and your life goals and your ambitions. So I do really, really advocate more people trying to make that conversion from, you know, humanities or the art background. And I think that the industry needs to be more aware that there are transitional skills that can be applied. I'm also so grateful that I had a female mentor when I started in the industry about six years ago now. And if it wasn't for her and her belief in me, I wouldn't have got to where I was today. So that made a huge, huge difference because I just went in doing operations to start with. And then she was like, hmm, do you fancy giving this a go? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. And so I did my exams. You know, they weren't easy. I'm not going to say it's a blast. You know, it took a while for me to get my head around a lot of the concepts because I hadn't done an exam in about 10 years for a starter and I only done you know GCSE maths which I think a lot of people would be going oh my god how is she handling money but it's not really about that and so yeah just being under her wing really really helped me to flourish and yeah I'm so grateful to her yeah you're right on the you know background and when I started working in banking at, at Lehman Brothers actually I was surprised because uh, I mean, I come from like a finance economics background, but a lot of the students uh, or graduates in the UK were coming actually from very different backgrounds, history, uh, geography, and that makes it actually really, really interesting. And it's good to have a little bit of diversity in these financial institutions. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, but can you start by telling us what, you know, for a lot of people asking me, you know, I should, should I work with a financial advisor? Uh, but what's actually the role of a financial advisor? And I've seen and we, we've been talking a lot about it, like money coaches, wealth planners. Mm -hmm. What are the difference between financial advisor, money coach and like a wealth advisor, for example? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not surprised that people get confused because <laughs> it's not very clear cut. But in essence, financial advisor will be the person who helps you with your sort of your bread and butter. So your pensions, your estate planning, possibly your insurances. That's like what you call an IFA. It's somebody who is there to sort of help you build your wealth, get you on track help you with your budgeting if you need to do that and then some investments like the ices and anything a little sexier perhaps if you get that stage a wealth planner or a wealth manager traditionally works with somebody who's already accumulated wealth and they're helping to preserve it and you know if they're needing to draw down income or anything like that from portfolios they will work with a portfolio manager who will then manage the underlying investments in order to fit the client's objectives and needs, if that's not getting everybody a little bit more confused. And a money coach is effectively like going to any other kind of coach. They're there to be by your side and to encourage you, to stimulate you, to make sure you're on track 
with your financial goals. They're not authorized to give any advice on specific products. So financial advisors, wealth managers can sell products and they're uh, regulated by the FCA, which is the Financial Conduct Authority. Money coaches do not have to be regulated in any way. And then you can also go to Wealth managers, if you want, as I mentioned, the portfolio management side of it, which will be discretionary, which means you pass the responsibility of managing your money to them on your behalf. So they'll make the investment decisions for you and they don't have to consult you first. The alternative to that is an advisory service, in which case they will chat to you first. You sign off on it if you're in agreement. Okay, super clear. <laughs> if, that, um, if that has any help. Yeah, no, of course, because we see, you know, all these different categories, but it's important you go see the right person. Yeah. Um, and if you need financial advice, then you go see a financial advisor and, and maybe not uh, a money coach. But actually, if you need more to work on your on your mindset, yeah, a money coach is going to be super, super helpful. But actually on that, I mean, your so you're an advisor, but your personal mission is, is really to help women understand their relationship with money for better health and wealth. And you have this company called the Dura Society. We can find you uh, online and on Instagram. Can you tell us a little bit more about the relation, like what you do with the Dura Society and the relationship between um, wealth and, and health, basically? Yeah, well, exactly. And I mean, the reason I set up the Dura Society about four years ago is because I realized that if I hadn't fallen into this job totally accidentally, I wouldn't have an absolute clue what the hell was going on in terms of my finances. And I realized there were likely to be a lot of other people in the same position. So I thought, wow, okay, I've managed to learn this. How can I translate this to people so that they understand it and they enjoy it and they can empower themselves? So I set up it as a financial wellbeing consultancy and it's sort of a catalyst and a platform for all things women, wealth and wellbeing. And I started off by running workshops at the House of St Barnabas Club in Soho for their members. And they had such a great feedback and I was just like, wow, okay, this is super cool. I'm really enjoying this. They evidently need this help. There's got to be more people out there the same. And they were coming from completely different age ranges, different backgrounds, and they all had this fear and this lack of confidence. And, you know, they're totally capable professional individuals. And yet when you speak about money, it terrifies them. And I hate that people can get so anxious about something that if you are given the right tools, the right resources, you do not need to feel this anxiety. And so that is a big thing that I am trying to overcome is building people's confidence, building up their competence as well and reassurance that they are able to manage it themselves or we can point them in the right direction to somebody who can. I mean over lockdown I started running a series of workshops over on Zoom like you know everybody was on Zoom and they were probably sick of me by week 12 but we were discussing everything from you know negative interest rates, the state of the economy, alternative investments and I just put it in a really low-key wealth and wine style setup to help them organize their finances and then I also start doing, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching for individuals because some people, it's very private and they don't want to be opening up in a big group of people, which is totally okay. Um, can I ask you, what are you working on at the moment following your departure from London and Capital? So that's a big uh, London-based wealth manager. And you were in charge of advising American expats residents in the UK, right? Yeah. 
So what I have been working on, which I am planning to launch in the new year, is Jura Private. And so this is an extension of the work that I've been doing with the Jura Society, but really merging that with the work that I've been doing with high net worth divorcees. And so what we will be creating as a private client post-divorce product management service, where we will be creating a bespoke setup for divorcee to really help them navigate post-settlement, post-final divorce, to getting them almost rehabilitated back into financial independence. And I will work alongside them with putting the best lawyers, accountants, art specialists, property specialists, anybody that they need who's a professional, I will then aid them to do that. No, great. And because do you think women today are are excluded from the money conversation or maybe not served in the right way by, you know, the financial industry, by financial advisors? What what you know, what can we do to to improve how we, we, we help uh, women? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I would say they're not excluded as such, but I don't think they're encouraged. I don't think they're encouraged when they're working in the industry, let alone when they're trying to, you know, use the industry as a service. Ultimately, there are tools out there, but whether or not they are in the correct language that they're able to be digested, understood, and then, you know, employed by the you know, investor is two very different things. Presenting it in a way it's very uncomplicated is something that the industry doesn't like to do. I think that they are perfectly able to do so, but then they might not be able to justify their fees. Controversial, perhaps. There's also a bit of a stigma towards the words, the terminology, the jargon, but I think that it is actually beneficial for people to have a, a slight understanding of some of the terminology so they can fully engage with their finances and the conversations that they're having with professionals and when they're trying to read any of the literature. Because I know that when some people, you know, I mean, I have girlfriends today who was asking, just got a message from her saying, oh, I've been, you know, I've received this letter about my pension, sends me, you know, a screenshot and it's like, what does this mean? And it's almost like as soon as a letter drops through the post from any, you know, financial whatever, pension or an investment thing, everyone just kind of freaks out. So I think that they really need to actually get some designers in-house to, um, make the literature more accessible. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that's, uh, you know, feedback I get often from, from you know, the Vespot community is like, you know, the jargon is so heavy. So where where do we even start? Like, you know, an ISA, a pension, what are all these terms? Yeah. Uh, so the industry definitely should do, should do better. But in terms of women's specific challenges, what do you see that's, you know, different for women in terms of managing money and building wealth? In terms of like the wealth gap and the gender gaps, I think that those are stereotypical and societal issues that we've still not managed to quite close yet in terms of childcare, education and opportunity for women. Even the representation within the financial industry is pretty low. And I know that the Treasury have actually set up the Women in Finance Charter Initiative, they set that up back in 2016 to encourage firms to increase the number of women in senior positions. But I think until that really has trickled through, it's going to be quite hard to make those changes, you know, directly to women on the ground effectively. But I don't think there are really specific challenges when it comes to, you know, managing your money. I don't think it matters what sex you are when it comes to managing your money. It's all dependent on 
you personally, but I do think that there are, you know, as I mentioned, childcare, maternity pay, things like that, making the decision whether you want to have a career or you want to become a mother, that's still something that weighs heavily on a lot of people. You're not entitled to maternity pay unless you've been there for sort of two years. That's a significant amount of time to be in a company, to make a decision to say, I'm going to be committed to them for that long if I want to be entitled to that. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I I just think, you know, yeah, you talked about the gender pay gap, the pension gap, I think, you know, the investing gap. So we are slightly behind. I think we we tend to have also less earnings, so less less money saved. And maybe in terms of goals, we may have also different goals. And yeah. and I know when I try to to find a financial advisor, I couldn't find someone who was really understanding my goals, or maybe on the personal level, like we couldn't really understand each other. Um, so maybe there's a bit of work to be done in terms of you know all this like money mindset and wellness and really understanding your, your clients. But I feel the industry is now doing more. I mean, training more female advisors, but also talking maybe differently to female clients. Yeah. And it's, yeah, having that, you know, holistic and it's not just about the money attitude, I think is really important. And and that's what I go back to from my first point in saying, you know, you can't just hire everybody who studied economics and and get them to teach people, you know, who are clients who maybe have come from an arts background. They're not going to have any common ground and there's going to be such misunderstanding that both parties are going to be totally frustrated which makes no sense i wanted to have you on the podcast because my topic for you today is money and relationships it's a very difficult topic talking about money is is overwhelming it's embarrassing we all have you know different definitions and beliefs around money but when do we actually start talking about money with a partner and maybe at different stages so even like when you start dating someone should you have this money conversation then maybe you get uh, married you start having kids i mean how do we talk about money uh, in in these circumstances yeah totally good point and something that has actually come to the fore quite a lot because money is probably the number one cause of divorce second to adultery really but the stresses that it puts couples under is significant because it is so representative of your values and your self-worth and trust and it's just such a loaded concept that it can really trigger some some nasty nasty fallout if it's not tackled in the right way now talking about it with a partner can be incredibly stressful and what I would suggest and what I would recommend is that you actually pencil in a time to sit down together and make it as unconfrontational as possible. And I think that you both come at it from a, we're going to reconcile and, and we're working on this together and we're making a plan together point of view, rather than going in it on the aggression and saying, I want to know if you've got debt or anything like that. And whatever they say, I think you really need to take it and thank them for being honest, no matter what position they're in. If it is shocking that they've had to hide it, there will be elements of shame around that as well. And so I think it's really important that you're encouraging and supportive on both sides. Now, at what stage in a relationship do you get started on? I think it's quite tricky if you're on the second date and you're asking how much is in somebody's pension, they're going to think that they've got an ulterior motive. Probably not the best move. But I think as soon as you kind of, you get that feeling that 
you know, it, it could go somewhere. It's going to be long term. You might have joint liabilities together. Maybe you're going to be renting a property together. It doesn't matter if you're getting married or not. But if you're taking out, say, a loan or a mortgage or any significant amount of debt that might impact your credit score or impact you negatively, it is absolutely worth having that conversation. And if it is something where it brings up something, if it's a conversation that brings up, you know, something a little bit shocking, I think it's really important to then schedule follow-up meetings and you treat it seriously and you treat it like a business discussion. It doesn't have to get emotional. I think if you make it really, really factual and you stick to the facts and you draw it out, then it should alleviate any anger or additional tension, I would say. Yeah, no, I think these are these are amazing tips. Uh, and, and I'd love to go a bit further. And, and I think what I've heard is some women are telling me, you know, at the moment I can afford to buy a small place, for example, but should I wait for a partner and maybe buy a bigger place? So basically it's waiting to be with someone to take bigger decisions in life. What do you think about that? Like, should you wait? Should you do it for yourself? I mean, I have my own view on this, but what's, you know, what's the more, not official, but what's, what advice do you usually give to women? I mean, there's no hard and fast rule for anything that you can tell anybody in the world because we're all individuals. And do you know what? If you want to go off and buy something and put yourself in debt, that is your personal choice. And I'm not going to tell anybody to go against it. It might be a l very stressful, but I would never tell somebody you should or you shouldn't do this. And I think when it's coming to holding off things in your life, when you're waiting for somebody else who's maybe not even in the picture yet, You need to weigh up what the cost opportunity benefit is. If you're saving money and you're depriving yourself of enjoying your life, which a lot of people have done, I don't know if you've seen this fire movement, which I think is novel, but actually I think it is a little bit reckless in the opposite sense in that you are depriving yourself of some of the best years of your life. And retirement is quite a long period of time. And I don't know why people wouldn't want to work through it, or at least, you know, still generate money through uh, later life. I don't know if people will have very different opinions. But also, I would say never wait for anybody else. Like I think independence and building that up. And also, you just never know what's going to happen. If you're waiting and waiting, and waiting for somebody, you might just be waiting a little bit too long and you might have missed the boat but again it comes down to affordability as well I mean there's so many variables and it is really really difficult to get on the property ladder as a solo rider at the moment which is not going to change anytime soon so it depends on what your lifestyle requirements are you know if you've got siblings if you've got friends if you've you know got relatives or something like that that you could buy with that's an alternative you don't have to buy with your partner But whatever you do, make sure you get proper advice and you are comfortable with that decision that you're making at that time. And you've made provisions for the next five, 10 years to accommodate that. Don't rush into any significant financial decisions is what I will say. And now when, so let's say you're, you're with a partner or boyfriend or you get married. Again, like a question that comes back often is, what do I do? Do we keep our money separate? Do we combine all our finances? What about assets like when you're buying a, a property like before and, and after getting married what's what's your view on that 
it totally depends on the on the couple it depends the earning capacity of both of you again it goes back to trust I would always say you have to keep a bit of money stashed away for yourself no matter what age you are what sex you are you know whether you're married or not you always need your little pot of safety money it's your safety net it doesn't matter you know have six twelve however many months needed for yourself don't pull that together because if the worst comes to the worst you get divorced anything that is in joint names is going to be split up so if you need to run for it and they've put a freeze on your bank account you know on your joint bank account you can't access that money you're screwed you know if they've run up a load of debt on your joint bank accounts you're screwed (laughs) that's not the technical term but that is something that you need to always be aware of and I keep scaring all of my girlfriends who are getting engaged now by telling them all all of these things and I'm like make sure you do this don't put it all in this have you looked at this and they're like can you please take the fun out of this anymore but you just never know yeah and I've worked with so many divorce lawyers and I've heard so many stories and you just need to look after yourself I think as well it's not it doesn't mean you love them any less yeah just always yeah look after yourself and especially if you've got children as well you you don't want that to, to come into play so actually when you have children I mean one thing that I've done is is writing a will yes. uh, with my partner do we all need a will even if we don't have children if you've got any assets and you don't want to put your family through the trauma of having to go through the rules of intestate which will not protect you you know unless you're you know a spouse or immediate family you will not have any rights to your assets it's basically a will is an instruction for how to divvy up your estate and your assets once you pass and I know a lot of people don't want to think about dying but if you look at it the other way would you not rather have your family not have to stress about dividing up everything if you can just give a set of instructions to start with it can be very helpful yeah. And another point, what if you discover your partner has debt? I mean, that's going to have an impact also on, on your credit rating, possibly. Mm. What do you do in these circumstances? Well, I think it's always good to, to sit down with them and, and address what's caused that debt. Because, you know, maybe they have an addiction to something that needs to be addressed first. Is there a motive to why they've happened? Is it something that they've felt a big shame about or is it something that they have done recklessly and in an almost controlled and venomous way um so I think that's always something to consider to start with I did actually do a podcast with Boodle Hatfield Law Firm and a, a very good charity called Surviving Economic Abuse and we went through all of the impact of what might happen if they separate what to do with your credit score but effectively if you do have any joint debts such as a mortgage or a loan that you've taken out it doesn't matter whether or not you're married or not if they're taken out in your joint name you'll still be liable for it even if you separate <laughs> you didn't get away that easily no but that happened I mean I've, I've had a few women talking about it recently yeah, it's so... terrifying and some people have bank accounts that they don't they weren't even aware that their partner has set up in their joint name and then it's now yeah. going to be on theirs so what I would recommend actually is doing a credit check on you you know not so much that it, may, it, it impacts it but just to have a look and see how many accounts are actually set in your name because even if it's a joint account it will show up on the reports and then you can go and yeah manage it from there and that's what we would always suggest to a 
client, if they've got divorced, the first thing to do, pull up a credit report and go through and make sure all accounts have been closed and settled or dealt with. Yeah, that's good and really good advice. What else should we think about in terms of, you know, so we talked about the will, um, maybe debt. Oh, one other what point about with the will, sorry, just to say, yeah. if you are <laughs> if you are <laughs> cohabiting and you have children, there is no such thing as the common law. So if you die, your children and your partner could potentially lose the house because it wouldn't automatically transfer to them unless it's held, you know, in tenants in common or, or joint tenants. Um, and, you know, it's all been dealt with properly. But I would definitely make sure that if you are in that position, you have a watertight will. And will, you can, uh, so you can make wills online and it can be very cheap, but actually maybe it's not the best solution. I mean, I you can see solicitors and, and ask them to really like customize your, your will and you can do it with them. What's the best uh, route? I think it depends on, on your asset base yeah. and your affordability. But actually, uh, there is something called Free Wills Month, which is on now. So you have to be 55 or over. It happens throughout October. And you can get a solicitor drafted will for free in lieu of a donation to one of their charities. About £300. Okay. And yeah. then when you get to November, you've also got something called Will Aid Month. So there's no age limit on that. And um, again, a solicitor will write up your will for you for about £100 for a single will and £180 for a joint will. So I would recommend taking advantage of that if, if, if money is an, an issue for you and affordability is. Um, and then also not to forget that it's useful to have something called a power of attorney on top yeah. of your will. So if you're inca incapacitated, somebody can look after your finances or your well-being. Okay, super useful. So please, please look into your will, power of attorney, you can do that. Uh, it doesn't cost a lot of money and it can save you a lot of money actually for you and your family down the line. And also another thing, sorry to add on to the list of things to check is um, on your pension, you'll have your beneficiaries. So make sure that they have been assigned to who you want and at the percentages that you want so you could do like 100% your wife or you could do 50% your wife 25 25 if you've got two children but it's always useful to update your beneficiaries anything else we should think about i'm, I'm thinking maybe so we talked about pensions will what about uh, insurances for you and your family yeah uh, again it depends what your assets are if you and then if you wanted to go into sort of estate planning or IHT liability, you might take out insurance to cover that unless you've got the assets to pay that off. And that is something that you would speak to an estate planner or, you know, a lawyer about just to, to run up what your IHT might be. So that's inheritance tax. Just speak to a professional about understanding your requirements. There are many types of protection, though. So you've got your whole of life. You've got term cover you've got your income protection which i think if anybody got that now through covid is probably really really grateful for your critical illness cover if you were to suffer an incapacitated illness or cancer for instance it can provide you with a lump sum payout in order to make any adjustments to your living conditions or your home for instance um, so there are lots of ways that you can protect yourself through insurance 
but you need to get advice as well. Great. So these are like all part of, you know, estate planning. So really like things you should you should look into. And now I wanted to finish off because that's going to be part of, you know, Dura Private and how you're going to advise your new clients or women uh, who just, uh, who, who divorce, who are divorced. What happens when things go wrong? So I'm speaking to many women who are, maybe too financially dependent and they can't leave a relationship. How can we go about that? I mean, that's really hard. And financial abuse is really, it's rife. And I think that going through COVID now, we're going to see more examples where people have lost their jobs and then they're not going to be reliant on their spouse. I think that the main thing is to ensure that the individual is safe, to make sure that they're not trapped or or undermined too much. And, And there are resources out there if you are in danger, like the National Domestic Violence Helpline. As I mentioned earlier, Surviving Economic Abuse has got some fantastic resources and they're able to counsel and guide you into getting out of these tricky situations. On a practical level, I think if lots of money's been lost, it can be quite devastating. You know, you can lose the family home, you may end up in serious debt. But I think you need to sit down and try and talk to your partner to start with if this isn't you know possible because if they were to react in a threatening way i think you need to make sure that you've got a friend present you know a third party you need to make sure that you're safe can you go to a friend you can go to a family i think it's something that you need to make other people aware of as well and and realize that you're not alone and that there are people who can care for you can protect you as well you need to rebuild up your confidence as well. If you do have it, so it's in a non-violent situation, try and get a good understanding of what your current asset base is, what money you're able to maybe hide away somehow. Look at what pensions or anything that you might be entitled to, to say, if I were to split, what could I get? And then you can really make positive plans and positive steps to move forward. What could you do to upskill or retrain to enhance your earning capacity? Um, I think the the biggest importance here is not about lifestyle. It's really about your safety. And I think that's what a lot of people are afraid to lose is this lifestyle. But they're putting their own mental health at stake. And they would rather live in a stressful, potentially violent, but nicely surrounded <laughs> uh, you know, house at the detriment yeah. of themselves, which to me, I, I find that very distressing. But a lot of that is to do with confidence and fear. So, yeah, just speak to a professional, and I, and I hope that people aren't going through this, but I know that they are. So if you are going through this, please do contact, and I'll, I'll give Emily you know, the details that she can forward on to anybody so you can get proper help. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll put that in the in the notes, and uh, anything else, anyway, Loti, people will have your, your contact details. What, what happens when uh, you decide to separate from a partner? So maybe to mortgage, to debt, if you're married, if you have kids, what's the process? Because these are going to be typically your, your clients. Yeah, I mean, as I, as I mentioned before, you are still liable if you've got a mortgage or any debt together. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. If you took it out, they, you know, the lender does not care that you have broken up. They're like, well, tough, your name's on it, so you still got to pay it. You might have balanced it out with another asset or another debt somewhere within you know the divorce process but generally it will still be joint liable when you are separated it really depends on the length of the marriage 
what your earning capacity is. The courts tend to start at a 50-50 and then they work on a needs basis when they're divvying up the assets. But I mean, speak to a family lawyer to find out more when it's relevant to you because it, you know, it depends whether or not maintenance is there, whether or not you'll get a lump sum. There's no hard and fast rule on what will happen. And that's where these fantastic family lawyers come in and they help through this process. Right. So what, what advice do you have for women going through a, a divorce? Get professional advice as soon as possible and surround yourself with a solid support network. Take things slowly. Don't rush into any financial commitments, any huge lifestyle changes. Your emotions will really cloud your judgment. We tend to say, you know, leave it 12, 18 months before you make any significant adjustments to your life. Keep an eye on your credit score, as I mentioned before. Make sure you close down any accounts that may be jointly held. Try to put together and rebuild an emergency fund. Don't send anything to your ex that you wouldn't want held as evidence in court. That's something that I've been uh, told many a time by the lawyers. Um, because, you know, naughty, you know, spare of the moment text messages that you send with blah, 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 um, may be held up in court and may, may um, impact your um, favorability within the courts. And the main thing is to look after yourself mentally and physically and to keep going. It, it won't last forever. It's a terrible, terrible process. And as difficult as it may seem at the time, there will be an end to it. And there are lots and lots of resources, support networks, you know, counsellors, therapists, support groups. There are people out there who will help you get through this. Um, you're not alone. Great. Thank you so much, Lottie. It's really, really useful. Um, so I hope if you're listening to this, I mean, that, you know, you have a few, you know, tips and guidance. And again, we'll publish uh, everything in the notes. Lottie, we always ask uh, our guests some quick fire questions. So I have five for you. What are your top three financial goals? To be able to escape to the country. <laughs> um, I'd love to just set up shop somewhere, you know, in the Highlands and, and live a oh, very, nice. very simple life. Sooner rather than later, that would be ideal. You know, obviously, I'd still have my private client practice and I could come down to London and, and visit people that. But yeah, I'd love to get out of the city, to be honest. Set up a successful business. Obviously, Joe Private will be that. And not have to worry about, you know, checking prices for things, whether it's medical, whether it's holidays, lifestyle, you know, when you know that you like something and, you know, if you want to treat somebody or you have a bill, it's just not having to worry. And it's having that security, I think, is so important. Yeah. Um, the best financial decision you've ever made? Start investing. Ooh, my ISA. Well, that's great. That's going to be for another discussion. Yeah, that or, you know, going to university. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the worst financial decision you've ever made? Spending my car insurance payout on a holiday to the Dominican public when I was 23. So I think I got some, <laughs> someone. I um, hope it was a nice holiday. Oh my God, it was a super nice holiday. But um, I probably, yeah, no, I, somebody crashed into my car and I was like, meh, well, I can't get the car I want with this money. So two weeks <laughs> on holiday. Yes. Okay. You know, great memories. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is financial independence for you? not relying on anybody else and getting things done myself I think that's super important and I think I do wind people up a bit too much when I'm like nope I'm not gonna have help I'm not gonna do this you know I'm gonna be independent and my mm -hmm. mom's like why don't you settle down and get married and I'm like no I'm gonna do it my own 
which is uh yeah my own thing but yeah I think I I just want to know that I can rely on myself I think that's really important and the things you spend the most money on Hmm. food (laughs) I mean it's all the usual things food and ubers because okay for ubers my way of justifying it is that it just takes so bloody long to get around London and I am generally in a rush so jumping in a cab or an uber saves me time which means I can do more stuff so that's how I rationalize that books I spend a lot on books I probably yeah that's that's going to go into my financial goals in my little retreat in the highlands I, I want a library that nice oh dream uh with I a log burning fire yeah that's my visual on my visualization my visual board and then skincare and holidays obviously great <laughs> thank you Loti. just to finish off what are the what are the most important things you you've learned and what are you still working on in terms of life or <laughs> life finance? And finances. <laughs> life and finance. You can, you can start with finances if you want. So that women have a place in finance. Um, if I can do it, so can you, any listener out there. If I'm able to do it, then I totally believe in you. Just got to believe in yourself and, you know, focus a little bit. Okay, one which is a little bit dark is that people are really jealous of perceived successes. And it can be very lonely developing new concepts. And it is, I think that's really important is that perceived success. If you go out and you promote yourself, people can be very envious of that. And then they kind of shun you. So that's something that I've learned through yeah. training up, which is bizarre. But I don't know whether that's a woman thing or not. And then yeah. a strong professional network is invaluable. And having mentors is one of the most helpful things I've ever had. If I hadn't had them, I wouldn't be where I was. So I'm so grateful for all of the people who have ever believed in me, who have listened to me nattering on at them, who have challenged me. People like you, Emily, who you know, will endure my conversation and my ideas. But I think that that's so important is to have people who have got the same vision and drive as you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Loti. Um, where, where can we find you? <laughs> anywhere so website is www.thejurasociety.com c-u-r-a and then instagram is the Jura society usually floating around london so that's where you can also find me great well at a, at a vespot event or at a vespot event exactly exactly when we can next do one that'll be amazing great thank you so much loti and speak soon thank you i will see you soon thank you bye-bye bye-bye If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of seconds to rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our community on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe to our newsletter on vespot.com. Feel free to email me with your comments and questions over at emily at vespot.com. Thank you. Speak to you soon.